0: Good morning. If you guys will turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has, his, has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. To
1: God. We all love to be loved. There's really probably not a better feeling than to be reminded of the truth that we are loved. Uh, We got back from an archery tournament yesterday and stopped by the mailbox and saw three red letters to Canyon, Sophie, and Brooks. Not hard to deduce who those are probably from and why those have come this week. Canyon opens his, Sophie opens hers, and then Brooks, with a huge smile on his face, opens his, sees his Paw Patrol stickers. Here's the message from Debbie, and he proclaims, this means they love me. It's true, they they love him. So sometimes love can be expressed in a simple thing like a gift, just somebody thinking of you and wanting to show that they love you. I'll never forget the first time a friend of mine gave me a gift, not because it was my birthday or because it was Christmas or I had some big moment in my life, it wasn't my mom, it wasn't my grandma, it was a friend who, simply because they were thinking of me and loved me, gave me a gift. That was a re- revelatory moment for me. I'll never forget the time recently, um, right after Debbie and I got back from our honeymoon, we walked into our studio apartment about the same size as this drum cage, and, and it wasn't hard to find out, like, this place is cleaner than the last time we saw um, But not only that, but as we opened our cabinets, we saw they were full of spices. I had never bought spices before. How did these get here? Uh, The fridge was full of food. And I'll never forget that moment of coming in there and realizing, wow, my mom and dad did this not because they had to, but because they wanted to, because they love us. And maybe you can remember a time when a friend came to, to see you, to spend time with you, not because they were... Driving through town and they had nothing else to do, or their family and friends who they were supposed to meet were busy, and so you get the kind of leftovers. But no, like somebody rearranged their schedule and prioritized you because they love you. We all love to be loved, it's a blessing to receive the gift of love from somebody. But we all know and understand that love isn't just something that we get, it's something that we give. It's not just a blessing we receive, but it's a costly gift that we give to others. All parents get this. To raise your children to be the kind of children you want them to be costs you. It costs you your money, it costs you your time, your sleep, your sanity, your hair, both in quantity, can I get an amen, Drew, and in color. It is. There's no more clear example that this is true than, I've got two baptism pictures of me baptizing my oldest kids. And the first one I baptized Canyon, oh gosh, a few years ago, most recently was Sophie and there is a clear degradation of hair in this general region. Parenting costs you things, but I love them, so I'm willing to give them whatever it takes. Friends know this. If a relationship is one-sided, it's not really like a friendship, right? You may love somebody. They don't love you back. Or at least they say they do, but they don't actually spend time with you. They don't call you to say they love you. They don't do that kind of stuff like Stevie Wonder does all the time. Um, Because everyone knows relationship requires like two sides. Um, Love isn't just a blessing, It's also a sacrifice. It's not just a gift we receive, it's a gift that we give. But to be honest, the fact that love is both a blessing and a sacrifice isn't an explicitly like Christian idea. That's not all that explicitly biblical. You don't have to follow the teachings of Jesus to believe that love is something we experience and something that we express, something that we get and something that we give. My non-Christian relatives understand this. They get that they enjoy feeling loved and that it's a blessing to be loved and they understand in order to raise their kids well, they need to, it costs them, it's a sacrifice. The reality is there's a lot of religions, like all the religions that have some kind of economy of love where if you give the right thing, you get the right thing. Everyone understands that love is both a blessing and a sacrifice. So what is it that makes biblical love unique? What makes it uncommon? What makes it stand apart from the world that is different? Well, I think one way to help think about this is to look at the limits of this common Love the love that anyone can express or experience. First, common love begins with my understanding of my wants and my desires. You know this. You get this. That the world says you. Yeah, I'll love you, but I'm going to love you on my terms. Sure, sure. I'll love somebody if if they do this. We all know, we're the kind of the the captains of our destiny. We're the leaders of our soul. That's what we do. The love that comes from us starts with us, with me, with my wants, with my needs, with my desires. That's where love starts. That's what the world says. Love starts, it begins with you. Second thing that common love does is it ends when someone hurts us. Um. That's our natural tendency. When somebody hurts you, that fractures the relationship. And common love all too quickly is ready to divide, ready to break up, willing to end it. Common love says, I'll never be able to forgive what she said. Common love says, I'll never be able to forgive what he did. Common love says that marriage is just a piece of paper, not a promise of till death do us part. Common love seems to say that marriage is, well, marriage isn't a covenant. It's something that we enter into and out to based on how we're feeling, what we want, what we desire. And if somebody hurts us, we're out. Affections change, attractions change. So if it's just a piece of paper, if it's common, then it won't last. Maybe you've heard somebody say this or you've said this. I don't go to church because somebody who claimed to be part of the church hurt me. So I'm not going to show love to Jesus because somebody from the body of Jesus hurt me. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm either out on church or I'm out on Jesus altogether because somebody hurt me. Common love says that we end it when someone hurts us. Common love also avoids or ignores those who are hard to love. Okay, Don't act like you don't have these people, okay? Come on, honesty. Those people who just, they didn't hurt you, they just kind of annoy you. Let's just, come on. They didn't do anything wrong to you, you just, they, they rub you the wrong way. You're like, yeah, you, you, your personality, it's a lot. I know, I know. I'm becoming secure in that. There's just certain personalities you don't connect with all that well. Reality is you're not gonna be friends with everybody. And so common love says, it's just easier to avoid or ignore the people who you just don't mesh well with, who it's hard for you to love. Just avoid them. It's better to say nothing than to say something hurtful. It just is. Uh, that's, The easy response, that's the the common response when you're in a somewhat of a relationship with somebody who you don't like, who annoys you, who gets under your skin, who you have very different opinions than. It's just easier to ignore or avoid them. That's common love. Lastly, common love hates the unjust oppressors of the world. It's Fashionable to hate certain groups. It's communal to hate certain other communities. There's something within us that feels like we need to have an enemy to be against. And most of the time that becomes a person or a group of people. Again, as much as we might like to say we don't have hate in our hearts, I bet we could probably find hardness a callous over your heart toward a certain person or group of people. People who don't share the same political opinion as you, those bigots. Or maybe the bullies. I feel justified, this person's a bully, so I'm going to be mean back to them. I'm not gonna show love to them. Maybe yours is more... Geographical. I hate the Russians for invading Ukraine. It's popular to hate the Russians today. The Chinese for sending spy balloons over us. You think that's funny? You know, I I I've had conversations with people who it's hard. It's hard. You skip back a few years, right around 2001. It's pretty fashionable to hate people from the Middle East. Well, I would never do that, but I do not like Californians, let me tell you. Oh my goodness, if an earthquake could just right along that coast, they can have their own country, we can have ours, it'll just be better for everybody. Or maybe you're from the coast, you're like, that's offensive, you stupid redneck. (laughs) Right? It's like, okay, we all have those. We do. Um, It's just common it's fashionable, it's easy to harbor hate or hard hardness towards certain groups of people who hate us, who hurt us, who are oppressive. You see, common love, the love that anyone in the world can express and experience, the kind of love we are all most prone to, begins with me. It starts with my understanding of my wants and my desires. It begins with me. And it's exclusively reserved for those who love me. You and I are good as long as you love me. On my terms. We're good as long as you love me. And it only desires good for those I deem as good. If you meet my standard, my definition of justice, my definition of good, then I want your good. But you step outside of that, then I don't. That's common love. It starts with me. It's reserved exclusively for those who love me. And I only desire good for those I deem as good. But God, who is perfect, who is himself love, who is also perfectly just, he's righteous. He makes the right call every time. He's always going to punish the guilty, and he's always going to show mercy to those who deserve mercy, those who are innocent. He always makes the right call because he's perfect, he's good, he's loving. That's who he is. He comes and says something else. He comes and gives us something that's uncommon, that's unique, that's not like the rest of the world. So what is it? What makes biblical love so unique? First, biblical love requires putting the needs of others above our own. Um, the world tells us to treat ourselves, that love begins with us and our wants and our desires, but God comes and says something else. It doesn't begin with you, it begins with him because of who he is, because of what he's done. Love begins with him. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter two. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation and love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to their own interests, but to the interests of others. That's uncommon. The world tells us that love begins with us, my desires, my wants, my needs. And Jesus comes and says something else. God comes and says something else. It doesn't actually begin with you. It begins with me. And because it begins with me, what I'm telling you is to not be selfish about this. To not think of yourself first, but to think of others first. Why? Well, look at the very next verse. Verse. We're to adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He deserved a lot. And yet he laid that down in order to help us. By the way, not while we were reaching out to him, not because of how loving we are to him, not because we just called him to tell him we love him and sent him a note for Valentine's Day. He did it while we were still his enemies, still rebellious toward him, still wicked toward him, helpless. Instead, what Jesus did was he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, humanity made in his image, by the way. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came and he just turned everything upside down. He turned the world on its head. The world says, come, be selfish, do what feels good to you, pursue relationships on your terms. Jesus comes and says, yeah, I deserve to be the one who everyone is centered around, and yet I came as a servant. I put on human flesh to come and serve you, not because you deserved it, but because of who I am and my love for you. Out of the overflow of who he is, his being good, his being loving, he desired for us to be in a relationship with him. And so biblical love requires that we don't just think of our needs first, but we think of others' needs first. We put others above ourself because that's what Jesus did. He put us above himself. Second thing that biblical love requires Is Biblical love requires loving those who hurt us. This is tough. This is not easy. This is not what we are prone to. When somebody hurts me, I'm prone to hurt them back. You say something to me or someone that's in my group, you're gonna hear about it. You put me down, I'm not just gonna be defensive, I'm gonna be offensive. I'm gonna make sure you feel it. I'm gonna make sure you regret ever even crossing me. Uh, I want you to feel small, insignificant, less. Don't you dare ever think about doing that again. I like vengeance. I like revenge. That's what I'm prone to. That's what the Bible seems to say that most human hearts are prone to. When somebody says something to you that you don't like, you say something back to them unless you're a coward and you just say it behind their back. Both are wrong. When somebody does something to me or to my family or to those I love that I don't like, I want them to feel it. I want revenge. I want retribution. The Bible comes along and seems to offer something else, something unique, something uncommon. Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. When someone hits me, I, just, I want to hit back. That's my natural reaction. Jesus says, no, you don't respond. You don't respond like that. That's, that's the common response. That's the way the world would want you to respond. I want you to do something different. I want you to stand apart as unique. As the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go mo- one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away the one who wants to borrow you. Vengeance isn't ours, it's the Lord's. But it's not just vengeance that the Lord says to be careful of. He says this You've heard it said, don't murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. It's not just restraining yourself from punching someone. It's not just having the self-control to not say the thing you want to say. Jesus is going after our hearts. He says, I want you to love those who hurt you. It's it's so easy when somebody hurts us to think bad about them, to not want their good. It's so easy when somebody hurts us to talk bad about them to those that we love and those that love us. That's the easy thing. That's the common thing. It's easier to hurt those who hurt us. But Jesus comes and says something else. Biblical love requires not just loving those who hurt us, but loving those who are hard for us to love. And those people that annoy us, that get under our skin, that we don't mesh well with naturally, who we would most easily avoid or ignore. Okay? This has been the big one for me as this series has gone on. Pretty early on, it was, I became aware, the Spirit convicted me, the Word convicted me, but this is me. I, kinda, I got the murder thing, okay? Don't murder, got it, okay? Just like most of you, except for those two we won't mention, um, murder isn't on the list of the things that I've done. But Jesus, Jesus just said, like, murder is not the standard. It's not just self-control from your punch and your word. It's not, it's actually your heart. It's actually your heart. You need to have a warm heart toward people. Drew talked to us last week about having affection toward people, even people who are hard for us to show affection toward. The Bible comes along and and tells us about what biblical love looks like in Luke 10. Jesus tells the story of the unexpected neighbor. Okay, the the, the unexpected neighbor. You can read their text thread between this Jewish uh, leader in the law, real smart guy. Um, it's like to ask questions he already knew. Do you know anyone like that? Um, like, yeah, it's you, you do that. Um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you think? I know you know, so just say it so we can get this over with. Uh, well, to love God and to love your neighbor. Okay, you ever heard that from this stage? At, at the end of the day, all of it can be boiled down to love God and love your neighbor. Even this, this Jewish guy talking to Jesus knew that. Yes, Good job. Jesus gives him the sarcastic clap, you did it, way to go. Yeah, yeah that's it. Love your neighbor because of your love for God. And, and that wasn't enough for the guy, but wanting to justify himself, wanting to make himself seem awesome, says, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus teaches him. Probably not who you expect, mister. Pro- probably not who you want it to be. And he tells this story about this guy who's, who's walking on the road and he gets jumped, all his stuff is taken and he's lying there on the side of the road. And thankfully, the pastor of the church is driving by and he drives by, he, the pastor sees him, makes eye contact and he's like, I haven't printed off my notes for this Sunday or else I would stop, I'm so sorry. Go with the blessings of the Lord. And he's out, he's gotta to get to the church. Thankfully, though, behind the pastor was an elder of the church, and he was, you know, obviously a godly person. But there's a prayer meeting Sunday morning, so he can't be late to one more. He's already been ridiculed enough, so he, he can't stop. But luckily for this guy who's hurt on the side of the road, there's a life group leader who is come to save the day, but there's a life group leader training at Paul's house, and there are always good snacks there, so he can't be late. He can't be late. And then one more person comes by, somebody they didn't expect. Jesus says a Samaritan came by, and he saw this person on the side of the road and had compassion. He put him in his car, he bandaged him up, he took him to the... ER, he not only that, but then waited for him and he got him a room at a hotel where he could rest and recuperate and he said, here's all my money to cover all these expenses. I can go to the ATM later and get more. Just, just help this person, this, this, this poor guy. And Jesus looks at his conceited friend and says, so who was the neighbor? And out of his pride, he can't even say who's The one who showed mercy. Yeah, the Samaritan. Go and do the same. Who are we supposed to love? Who are we required to love? Just those who love us? Just those who we mesh well with, who share our opinions, who look like us, who sound like us, and same tax bracket as us? We're to love those even who it's hard for us to love. We're to love those who are seen as insignificant to the rest of the world. That's who we're supposed to love. Lastly, maybe the toughest one, Biblical love requires loving those who hate us. In a world that's made it fashionable to hate those who are hateful, the Bible comes and says something else. In a world that says it's okay to hate those who are mean, to, be, to do evil to those who are evil, to be violent to those who are violent, the Bible comes and says something else. Maybe there's no more clear litmus test than this one as to whether or not the love that you have in your heart toward other people is an uncommon love or a common love. Let's read Luke chapter 6. I say to you, listen, love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hit you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt. Give to everyone who asks and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Because if you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? That's not special. If somebody loves you and you love them back, like anyone can do that. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit within them, who sits under the authority of the word of God to love those who love you. Even the sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? It's not special, it's not unique, it's not uncommon. Even the sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But I say, love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And then your reward will be great, because you will be children of the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. And the Bible says He lets the rain come down on the just and the unjust. He shows an act of common grace toward those who are good and those who are bad. So be merciful. Just as your father is also merciful. This isn't easy. This is tough. This is like the toughest. We're talking about a lot of things coming into this. Somebody can hear this and say, Is this just an excuse not to stand in the gap for those who are experiencing injustice? Is this some kind of excuse to not give a hearing to those who have no voice? Is this just an excuse to let those who are oppressive continue what they're doing? No, it's not. It's really not. What it's trying to do is to give a response that's uncommon, that's not like the rest of the world. I promise you'll have no problem finding non-Christians who fly under the banner of justice. I promise you'll have a real hard time finding non-Christians who love both the oppressed and the oppressor who seek the good of not just the foster child, but the, foster, the parent who had to have their kids taken away from them because of their brokenness or foolishness. You have a hard time finding in the world those who will love not just the abused, but wanting the best for the abuser. That's hard. That's uncommon. That's not natural. And that's not what I'm most prone to. But it's what Jesus seems to say. So, how? How are we supposed to biblically love others? Well, we have to understand what makes biblical love unique. First, biblical love is unique because of its starting place. It starts not with me, it starts with God. It's unique because of its scope. It's not just toward those who love me, but it's toward all people. And it's unique in its desired result of our love. See, biblical love is a blessing and a sacrifice that begins with God and extends to all in hopes that all might know God's love. That's special. It starts with God. It's this blessing and it's a sacrifice. But beyond that, it doesn't start with me. It starts with God. And he proved his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that means that it's to be expressed toward all people who bear the image of God, which means everyone. And that we desire good, not just for those who have been hurt, but those who do the hurting. And that will take wisdom, that will take discernment, and that will be difficult. But true love, biblical love, takes great courage and great humility. So how do we do it? First, I believe we need to practice the discipline of not getting our way. Hey, this one may not, we may need to add this one to the SOD book, Scott. Practicing the discipline of not getting our way. Okay, we don't need the last word. We don't need to win the argument. We don't need to take them to court. We can let them win, even if we're right and they're wrong. We don't have to hit back. We don't have to speak back. We don't have to post it. We really don't. We don't have to defend ourselves and our honor. can I I say this next part and you hear it with wisdom and and humility and discernment Jesus seems to be saying that we're the kind of people who allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by others Okay, somebody beat you up took your shirt give them your other stuff wait don't run away sometimes maybe the context will call to stay and Show them a unique kind of love. Um, Somebody says something bad to you, you actually say something kind to them and work real hard after to soften your heart toward that person because that's unique. That's not what the world would have you do. Second thing that, second way we can biblically love others is welcome correction And pursue reconciliation. The reality is, the humility that's required to be in a relationship with others, to be in a community with others, to show love to those who don't maybe deserve it, is that we need to be able to own our part in conflicts. We've got to be able to humble ourselves and say, here's where I was wrong. To verbalize that, to communicate that, to own that, to humble ourselves before others, to repent before others seeking their forgiveness. And not just to appease our own conscience, but beyond that, to actually pursue a right relationship with them. Not just to make ourselves feel better, but to restore and to protect the unity that God desires for us to have. John 17, Jesus prays this great prayer and he prays that we would be known by our love for each other, that we would be known by the unity that we have for each other. Which means, I think, At some level, he wants our relationships to look different than the relationships of the world. How we do dating looks different. How we do friendships looks different. How we treat our bosses and those who work under us different. We treat our spouses and our kids different. And when we don't and we look more like the world when we're stumbling and we're prone to make mistakes, we own it because we're all going to make those mistakes. We own our part in the conflict, and we pursue reconciliation. Look at a couple of these verses about this. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let the, splinter, let's take the let me take the splinter out of your eye? And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. Okay? You're first trying to point out a flaw in others, and you haven't done the work to work on yourself. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. It doesn't say never correct somebody in your community, somebody you're in relationship with. It says, you better be humble enough to own your part, to see where you're immature, to see where you've sinned, to see where you're broken and need to be sanctified. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've won a brother. Again, the heart behind conflict is different in in the church. It's different for those who are Christians. Some may want to point somebody's fault just so, again, it's like a nice version of them feeling worse about themselves, but in the church, it's actually different. You want them to be restored. You, you want a relationship with them. You want their relationship with God to be mended. Those are unique things. Those are special things. In the rest of that text, you see that Jesus wants us to pursue this with God like intentionality and some fervor. If you go to somebody who's insane and you try to correct them and it doesn't go well, take another trusted person with you and try again. And then try again. That doesn't work. Take some other trusted leaders in the church with you and try to restore this person to help them see brokenness so that they can be restored into wholeness, so that the unity of the church, of the relationship can be restored. Matthew 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Stop what you're doing. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. God desires us to be mended with him and with each other. This one, next one, again, tough. Regularly pray for and choose a stance of forgiveness toward those who are difficult for you, hurt you, or hate you. This has been... This has been a practice for me a lot lately. I, I, will, I, I may have made a real list. You don't need to make a real list. You definitely don't want other people to see if you make a real list. But make a list, either in your heart or in your hands, of people who you have a hard time with. Like real names, real faces. People who've hurt you in your past. Distant past or recently. And people who have hated you. Or groups of people that you find yourself hating and you don't know why, maybe. What I want you to do is to pray daily for these people. Pray daily for these people. Why? Because I think that over time will begin to soften your heart toward them. It has for me, this small time that I've been trying to practice this discipline. When I'm doing that, the other thing that I've found is I. I'm very convicted when I speak poorly about people. When I don't think the best of others. When I don't desire their good, even if I believe I'm justified in my opinion on them. Don't be like Santa, okay? You're making your list, checking it twice, trying to find out who's naughty or nice, and you only give gifts to those who are nice, right? That's not very Jesus-like. Jesus gave us the gift of like eternal life, even though we were quite naughty, <laughs> We weren't like doing good things. We were enemies, rebellious. We deserved coal, okay? And he gave us life. He gave us kindness. He showed us grace and mercy. Lastly, go the extra mile to show people the love of Jesus. Go the extra mile to show people the love of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want us to like forgive and forget things. He wants us to be reconciled to each other. He doesn't just want us to ignore those who hurt us. He wants us to love them, and he wants us to love them in our hearts, with our prayers, with our actions. He gave example after example of ways you can show love to those who hurt you, ways you can show love to those who hate you, or those that you may be hating. And that's what we need to do. You all know that, like, bitterness, deep-seated bitterness doesn't go well over time. Jesus doesn't just say this because it's hard and arbitrary. He says it because forgiveness, having a stance of forgiveness toward others is actually what's best for you. It's going to allow you to live freely in the love that God has for you so that you can freely love those around you. We're gonna enter into our time of communion, so if you haven't grabbed your bread and your cup, go ahead and do that. We have an opportunity this week, the highlight of our week, to remember that even while we weren't doing good to God, he did good for us. To remember that even while we weren't showing love to God, he showed love to us. And that he's calling us to that same thing. That he freely offers forgiveness. He has a stance, a warm heart toward us, ready and willing to forgive us if we will respond. My encouragement as we take the elements is to remember that, that we remember the beautiful gift, the blessing that we've received because of his sacrifice. And so let us take the bread and let us eat well. And let us take the cup and drink well.